More details are emerging about the gunman who went on a mass shooting spree in Las Vegas, claiming 58 innocent lives and injuring close to 500 others. Stephen Paddock opened fire from the window of his hotel room, shooting indiscriminately at a crowd below that was enjoying a country music festival. His Australian girlfriend is helping US police with their inquiries. She says the 64-year-old did show signs of mental illness and, of course, authorities are looking into every aspect of his life as they build a profile. They know he was a fairly wealthy man, he gambled a fair bit and he was a bit of a loner, but a a clear motive for his actions is yet to be established. Of course, this horrific event has put gun laws in the spotlight in the United States and also here in Australia. The White House was initially reluctant to join the debate on gun laws, saying it was too soon after the shooting. But then Washington, and I'd say remarkably the the National Rifle Association as well, were happy to embrace a restriction on America's guns through, uh, I guess, a a fairly narrow um, avenue, basically to regulate that accessory or the device that enabled the Las Vegas shooter to to turn his weapon into a rapid-fire gun. And, uh, Nat, as you've uh, said, this has led to a reflection on the state of Australian uh, gun laws as well. Uh, Reporters found that Australia's gun laws are being watered down with no state or territory currently fully compliant with the National Firearms Agreement. And a few days ago, of course, the government did reveal that its latest gun amnesty has netted about 51,000 unregistered weapons. This amnesty ran from July and lasted until last weekend. Now, the opposition says that the amnesty should be reactivated in the wake of the Las Vegas attack and extended until the end of the year. But the government and police are reluctant to go down this path. They argue that these sorts of amnesties need a clear start and end date for them to work uh, successfully. But uh, the Prime Minister says he isn't adverse to uh, launching another amnesty, but down the track. Tonight, we want to take a closer look at the complex issue of gun reform here, but also especially in the United States. So joining us on the line is Rebecca Peters, an advocate for gun control as chair of the Australian National Coalition for Gun Control at the time of the Port Arthur Massacre back in 96. She played a key role in the introduction of a stricter gun control in Australia. And Rebecca helped former Prime Minister John Howard drive Australia's first gun amnesty. Rebecca is on the line all the way from Guatemala, where she's uh, working and living these days. Rebecca, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks, Natalie, for having me. Now, Australia did take giant steps after Port Arthur. You were heavily involved, but the US seems to be clinging to the Second Amendment. There's this mentality and, and I guess, culture there that people must have the right to bear arms, even though it was written at an age ago in a, a very different circumstance. Can you see any sign of that shifting? I think it's frustrating because actually when they, you know, the opinion polls show, for example, that most Americans do want stronger gun laws, but it just, it seems, there's a couple of problems. The most obvious one, obviously, is the the power of the gun lobby to, to block any kind of progress, but also that people in the U.S. have a very... Um, they have a kind of muddled view of what it would mean to strengthen the gun laws. Like people often say to me, oh, well, we can't ban guns here because of the Second Amendment. I was like, no, you know, there's almost no country in the world has banned guns. But what the vast majority of other countries have done is put in place regulation that allows at least the worst um, abuses to be prevented. And Americans always tend to talk about 
this as though it's this dichotomous choice between banning all guns or letting anyone have any quantity of any type of weapons. And I don't, I don't, I'm sort of surprised that they're not able to get their heads around. You know, Americans are able to think about incredibly complicated ways of regulating, like the financial system, but they don't seem to be able to get their heads around the fact that when you regulate guns, there's a lot of different aspects of it. There's registration, there's licensing, there's background checks, there's import restrictions. You know, mm. it's not just um, this kind of binary thing, but they don't seem to be able to have a very um, intelligent discussion about it, I'm afraid. Um, well, Rebecca, Donald Trump, he promised uh, the US gun law be a watering down of gun laws, part of his pitch to uh, be elected president uh, last year. Surely he's yeah. unlikely to back down too much, if at all. I think that's right. I mean, he promised them and they spent over $30 million um, supporting his election campaign. And one of the first things he did when he was elected was actually loosen um, the the federal regulation of guns, which was there was a rule that um, Obama had introduced, which said that if uh, people who had like a, a federal record of a mental illness, which meant that they should not have guns, um, then that would be taken into account and, pe- and those people shouldn't be allowed to get guns. Of course, there's so many loopholes in the American laws that they probably could have, but at least formally they weren't able to. But um, um, the, almost the first thing Trump did when he came in was he lifted that restriction so that people who have a federal record of a serious mental illness such that they should not own firearms are now freely, legally able to get them again. And Rebecca, so, I mean, given this case in Las Vegas, sorry to interrupt there, but uh, Stephen Paddock, yeah. he, he perhaps did have a mental illness before he went on his rampage. Do you think that perhaps they'll be rethinking that change they made? Uh, it would be good if they did. I mean, the main thing with the Las Vegas is the the quantity and the nature of the weapons that this guy was able to uh, acquire and and obviously take into the hotel. Um, I mean, whether he, who knows whether he had any condition that would have been detected by mm. by normal gun laws in a normal country, but at least that this building up of these arsenals of weapons and 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 the this the device that makes a semi-automatic act like a fully automatic weapon i mean that one of the few bits of gun law that they do have in the us is a ban on fully automatic weapons and so it makes absolutely no sense that it's perfectly legal to have a device that transfer that 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 converts essentially a semi-automatic into a fully automatic weapon. We're chatting to Rebecca Peters, who was the chair of the Australian National Coalition for Gun Control at the time of the Port Arthur massacre back in '96, and played a key role in the introduction of stricter gun control in Australia. Now, Rebecca, making headlines here at the moment, um, two decades on from the massacre, which sparked all that reform. A report from Sydney University and, and funded by Gun Control Australia claims that two decades of political pressure have reduced restrictions how concerning is that for you it is i mean i it, it is a concern and it was something that we warned uh, at the time i mean back um you and your listeners who are old enough to remember 96 remember there was the problem in australia is that the gun laws are they vary state by state and so what we got in in 96 was an agreement where all the states and territories reformed their laws but there was no mechanism to ensure that as time went on they didn't just amend their laws to drop the standard and and depart from the from the agreement 
there was a very brief discussion about whether, in fact, the, the federal government could pass one gun law to, ha- to guarantee uniformity across the country. But it, that would have required a constitutional amendment, and in, there wasn't time, and, in, and anyway, we didn't go that way. But the, the benefit of that would have been that we would have avoided what we're now seeing, which is state by state. As the gun lobby has, turned, ha- has formed political parties and got people into state parliaments in, across Australia, where they are dedicated to rolling back the gun laws. And at the same time, this is relevant for you guys, the, um, the media industry in Australia has really reduced uh, the, the, you know, there's a lot less capacity in journalism now. So there are not reporters in Parliament House all over, across the, in all the different jurisdictions who are able to pay close attention. And so these, the, the kind, there's been this kind of, um, erosion of the gun laws where, for example, like, um, the requirement of a waiting period for every gun has, has been removed in some places where, um, th- there's just been a, a lot more, um, uh, the, the original requirement was that, that you would have to have be a minimum age of 18 to have guns. Uh, and now, and, and most states have some, actually all states have some provision for guns to be owned by kids. Uh, there's sort of, there's various, in New South Wales, there's a, 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 a reduction, a watering down of the law on pistols, which actually has resulted in at least one person being murdered. And so I am very concerned about this, and especially because it was something that we warned about, that there wasn't any mechanism to make sure that states abided by the national agreement. And Rebecca, just before we let you go, let us know what you're doing um, in Guatemala at the moment. I know you've been advocating hard for, for gun control both in Australia and overseas. What's the project there at the moment? Um, yes, I, in the past few years, I've become increasingly concerned about the situation of people who've already been shot. I mean, I've been, you know, since for more than 25 years working to prevent gun violence, but I just have become aware that for people who've already been shot, most they're mostly in countries like Guatemala, countries in the developing world, where there's no disability pension, the health system is no good, there's no crime victims compensation, and there's no support for people for whom, for whom this, the, whose governments failed them by not preventing the gun violence in the first place, and the governments are failing them again by not supporting them now. So I'm working in Guatemala with a group. Uh, gun violence is the number one cause of spinal cord injury in oh Guatemala. Gosh. It's a huge uh, cause of disability, of poverty, of death and injury here. So I'm working with a group of gun, uh, gun violence survivors here, um, developing advocacy skills and working on trying to develop ideas for how countries in the developing world can do more to support um, survivors of gun violence and of violent crime in general, except that violent crime in these countries overwhelmingly is gun violence. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time tonight. Keep up the fight, and uh, yeah, we really appreciate your expertise uh, and your time. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Natalie. And uh, uh, good night. Well, it's night time for me. Yes, good night. Well, good night to you. Thank you so much. That's Rebecca Peters, a passionate advocate for gun control here in Australia and overseas. One three one eight seven three. What do you think? Where are we in Australia? Are we still on the right track, or has it been weakened down, as that report suggests? Does that worry you? And has the latest mass murder in the States perhaps changed your view on on gun control like it did many of the people caught up in the attack? Do you think that the United States should be following our lead? Let us know. 131873 2gb.com 4bc.com.au.